Ecclesiastes 11 this morning, looking at verses 7 through 10, as I said, this first part. And I titled the message, Life is Good. And I hesitated to use that because isn't that a popular expression? We hear that a lot. Life is good. Life is good. Life is good. Um, And sometimes we wonder, is it? Is it really? Our theology wants to uh, try to take control and say, no, all are depraved and lost and the world is cursed and woe is us and, and this sort of thing. Here, Solomon is wrapping everything up of the entire book, from chapter 11, verse 7, to the, to the end, chapter 12, verse 14. And he tells us uh, how to gain the most out of life in a sin-cursed world. Is there anything that good we can take from it? And he has said at different points in this book, you can enjoy, you must, you should enjoy uh, the, the good things in life that God provides. You need to do so judiciously, carefully, wisely, fearing the Lord. And that's how he will end the book. Fear God and keep his commandments. This is man's all. Solomon starts off in verse 7 with a poem, all the way down to chapter 12, verse 8. Verses 7 to 8 are kind of like the introduction to the poem. Verses 9 and 10 of chapter 11 are the first part of that poem. Rejoice. And the second part of the poem is chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, where he says there, remember. So you have the introduction and Look with me at verse 7. Truly the light is sweet. It's pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. But if a man lives many years and, look at this, rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that's coming is vanity. So right there it shows us that's how he's going to close things up. Here's my introduction. You need to rejoice and you need to remember. This part that we're going to look at this morning, verses 7 through 10, the main idea that this gives us, that this tells us at the top of your sheet there is, though life brings hard times and has baffling mysteries. And isn't that the case? There are hard times we experience in life. And there are baffling mysteries that we'll never grasp. Though that is the case, Christian young people can and must enjoy the good life that God gives. Now, if you would not classify yourself as a Christian young people, that puts yourself into either one one of two categories. The first category is you're not a Christian, and you need to be one. The second category is you'd say you're a Christian, but what? Not a young person, okay? And so some commentators, some friends on my shelf have said, well, Young person here, it just means anybody who's not old. So then it kind of leaves it up to your judgment whether you want to classify yourself as old or not. But I think we all know what's involved with going with getting old. And if we have any doubt, he's going to give specifics about that. He's going to give little sprinkles of it in verses 7 through 10. And then he's going to open the holes all the way in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8. And he's going to, this is what old age looks like. He is speaking particularly to young men, he says in verse 9. And that's why I put it that way. Christian young people can and must. Wow. Can and must 
enjoy the good life that God gives. And when you see it from God's perspective, you can look at the sermon title and agree with that. That life is good. Number one, God's will for believers in a baffling, mysterious world. Verse seven, truly the light is sweet and it is pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. Now, I, well, let's look at number one. There is joy in living, verse seven. There is joy in living. He describes life in two, using two uh, metaphors, light and sweet. Life has a lot of good things in it, he's saying here. Light is sweet. And we who live in Northeast Ohio would agree with that wholeheartedly, wouldn't we? We're coming to the cloudy time and the dark time. I mean, it gets to be dark at what? About 5, 5.30 now? And Trish and I, the last week, we've been like, it feels like 8 p.m. And we start getting tired and we look at our watch and 5.30. Oh, this is like Alaska. Can you imagine living in Alaska? Light is a metaphor for life. What's the opposite of light? Darkness. And that is describing death. The other metaphor is sweet. Something pleasant, tasty, gratifying, good, and appealing. What's the opposite of sweet? Well, it'd be sour, stale. You ever eat something and you expect it to be sweet and good and you bite into it and, ooh, this is bad and nasty? It is a great thing to be alive, he says. It's pleasant for the eyes to behold the sun. It's a great thing to be alive. It is a gift from God. Christian, we need to look at life from God's perspective. Life is a good thing. It's from him. You are alive in whose creation? God's creation. He created this for mankind. He created this for those made in his image that they will, yes, worship him, praise him, honor him, adore him, but also do so by enjoying the creation he has made for them. Number two, God's will in the maze of life, verse eight. If a man lives many years and rejoices in them all, yet let him remember the days of darkness, for they will be many. All that is coming is vanity. What is God's will in the maze of life? Well, first, God wants believers to enjoy the days God gives you. He first wants you to enjoy the days that God gives you. Rejoice in them all. God gives this vitality. It is a good thing. He's the one, James tells us, who is an unchanging God that gives every good and perfect gift to be used and enjoyed. This will be developed in verses 9 to 10. Second, God has said that as you enjoy life, recognize 
as you enjoy life, recognize that there will be hard times in the middle of verse 8. Let him remember the days of darkness. Recognize there will be hard times. This will be developed in chapter 12, verses 1 through 8, that we'll look at, God willing, next week. Darkness is talking, well, not about the end of daylight savings time, but it's talking about trouble and distress, hardship, and yes, eventually culminating in death. Wisdom. Remember what wisdom is? The right and skillful application of truth to everyday life. The one who's alive, he is told here to recognize there are coming hard times. And he's specifically speaking to what classification of people here? Young people. Christian young people. Hard times are coming. We'll talk more about that. Wisdom knows that and correctly lives now in light of that. Remember, those times are coming. Enjoyable times won't live forever. So wisely enjoy the good times that the Lord gives while they last, because they won't last forever. And this isn't fatalism. Fatalism is the idea that, you know, it's going to be bad. Everything bad's going to happen. There's no good things. No, that's not what this is. This is life in a sin-cursed world. And we have a body that is cursed by sin. Thankfully, our souls, if you're trusting Christ, your soul's redeemed. You have new life. But our body is still subject to the curse, isn't it? Third, as you enjoy life, Remembering that hard times are coming, you must understand. That's the third thing. You must understand that you won't be able to fully grasp all the reasons for everything. All that is coming, end of verse 8, is vanity. Understand, you won't be able to fully grasp all the reasons for everything. He's used this word and this expression from the very beginning of the book. Life is like an unsolvable maze. When I was a little boy, I liked to get these uh, puzzle books, Connect the Dots. I saw a Connect the Dot book in the, uh, in the store the other day. It went up into the thousands, and I thought, I should get this for my grandkids. My kids would love me because it'll keep them busy for hours. Oh, wait, some of my kids can't count. Maybe not. I like mazes ordering these maze books that took forever. I learned, don't use an ink pen. Because if you use an ink pen in the maze book and you get the wrong way, oh, I just ruined it. Use a pencil and do it lightly. That way you can erase your mistakes and you can make it look like I did it right the first time. <laughs> Life is an unsolvable maze. It's baffling. Oh, I just can't make heads or tails of this. It's mysterious. That's because we're limited. We're not God. We're sinners in a sin-cursed world. Everyone ages. And with age comes all the challenges and issues of aging. And again, we'll hit more of that next week. Solomon's assessment of what's to come is that it's difficult 
if not impossible, to make full sense of it. That's what he means by this word vanity. Who knows the future? How can you make sense of something that you don't know? Why are there problems? Why do some have more problems than others? Christ-like young people, Christ-like young people know what's coming, and so they skillfully and correctly apply that wisdom, that knowledge, to life. How can you make the most out of the life that God gives? How can you make the most of that as Christ wants you to? I have been in some churches where the pastor will have a specific message to the very young people and he'll have them all come, in this, come and sit in the front row. And I thought about making a separate section for our young people, making the chairs a little different. All you young people come forward, but that'd be a little awkward, wouldn't it? This is a message God gives to our young people. So how should you make the most out of God-given life as Christ wants you to. He tells us next, number two, in verses nine to 10, live life to the fullest. And again, that sounds hedonistic, doesn't it? Well, we need to understand it from the perspective of where do we read this? In the scriptures. And who moved Solomon to write? The Holy Spirit. And what was the, the foundation? What was the way of life that, colored and directed Solomon as he wrote. It was the scriptures, specifically the Mosaic law, righteousness and truth. And we need to recognize that. How can you live life? How should you live life to the fullest? Verse nine, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. But know that for all these, God will bring you into judgment. How can you do this? Number one, enjoy life when you are young. Enjoy life when you are young. A couple aspects under this of enjoying life when you're young. The first aspect, there are a great, there are a number of great things about being young. And those of us who are old will say, amen, <laughs> because we don't have them anymore. But remember, we're going to be a little a gray area on that line of old age and young age. So if you're in your 40s, 50s, 60s, and 70s or 80s, I mean, Methuselah lived to 969. 80s just getting started, right? There's a great many things, a number of great things about being young. He says, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. Let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. So what are some great things about being young? How long do we have? There's health, for one thing. Your bones are strong. You can go through an entire day's exertion, and yeah, you might be a little tired, but you don't need a nap in the middle of the day. You don't go to bed achy and worn out. You have all your teeth. You don't have arthritis. You can bend over all the way and stand back up and not lose your sense. You can bend over all the way. You can run. You have energy. How many times do we look at young people? Let me rephrase that. How many times do older people look at younger people and all their energy and say, boy, I wish I had that energy. 
But the fact was what the fact is what we had that energy. Young people have strength. Don't take the strong. Young people have good looks. Don't take that wrong. And either way, okay, in the sense of either I'm flirting or I'm calling older people ugly, I'm just saying. <laughs> I've got more wrinkles. My hair isn't what it used to be. I need to look in the mirror. Young people have great prospects. Seemingly everything going for them. They have few of life's burdens and cares and concerns. For those of us who are there, we want to say with a bony finger, yeah, you just wait and I'll have something to say about those bony fingers that I know are just wanting to point out there. First thing that we need to see is there are a great many number of things about being young. The second thing I want us to see in the middle of verse 9 is do what you want and take it all in. Do what you want. Remember, he's speaking to believers, okay? In God's creation, wanting to obey the Lord and to please the Lord. We need to understand that. It's not a hedonism, a sin all you want. When he says here, let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth, Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. We need to remember the perspective that he has here. That of a believing man, one who fears the Lord, who's speaking to someone else who wants to fear the Lord. In that sense, he says, do what you want to do. Walk in the ways of your heart. Remember Psalm 37, 4? Delight yourself. Delight yourself in the Lord. Delight yourself in the Lord. That's what he's talking about here. Not only do what you want to do, but take it all in, in the sight of your eyes, in the middle of verse 9 there. In the sight of your eyes. Now I know some of you uh, law scholars are going to say, well, hold on a minute. What about Numbers 15.39? That's all what you were thinking, wasn't it? Numbers 15.39, if you don't, know it and didn't come to my mind either it came across in my study it says this uh, the lord commanded israel that they will have tassels on their garments remember those that they would have those tassels on their garments and he said you will have these tassels to look at and so by looking at those tassels you will remember all the commands that the lord has given you that you may obey them and not prostitute yourself by chasing after the lusts of your own hearts and eyes. See, we say, God says, shouldn't live after your own heart and your own eyes. And then Solomon says, live after your heart and your eyes. A contradiction in the Bible, right? The desires of Numbers 15.39 are clearly specified. Those which are contrary to, to God's character and commands. Have these tassels so that they remind you of God's commands so that you don't follow after your sinful heart and minds. Do you think Solomon is going to encourage young people? Eh, just disobey God's will. No, that's not what he's doing here at all. 
So what does he have in mind here? Well, what has to direct our understanding of the scripture? What we want to suck out of it? What we want to put into it? No. What the context tells us. So let's go back to chapter 2 and let's look at a, a few things that Solomon has already told us that we can enjoy, we must enjoy, and, 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 and revel in. So first, chapter 2, verse 24. Chapter 2, verse 24. Nothing is better for a man than that he should eat and drink. God's will is for you to drink coffee and eat lasagna or pickled beets, whatever your preference might be. Enjoy your food. He also says later in that verse, right after that, and nothing is better that his soul should enjoy good in his labor. Not only food and drink, but finding satisfaction in your work. Yeah, there's hard things that happen in work, but isn't it often the case where you finish your, your day's work and you say, it was a good day. Had some good things, got some good work done. Yeah, there are some problems there, but had a good day's work. Go to chapter 4, verse 6. Another example of this. Chapter 4, verse 6. Better a handful with quietness than both hands full together with toil and grasping for the wind. We can focus on the negative part, but don't forget the very beginning. Better a handful with quietness. You have your needs met, and you can enjoy rest. You can enjoy rest. That's a good thing. Enjoy it. It's God-given. Go to chapter 9, verse 8. Chapter 9, verse 8. Let your garments always be white and let your head lack no oil. There is God's will of what our dress apparel should be. Okay, we better obey this next week. I want everybody in white. That's not what he's talking about here. He's, say, he's saying, put your best clothes on. Uh, use deodorant. Use some perfume. Uh, use some uh, things like that. Smell good. Wear nice clothes. Pleasant lotions. These are gifts from God. And it's part of his creation. And then verse 9. Live joyfully with the wife whom you love all the days of your vain life, which is given you under the sun all the days of your vanity. Live joyfully with your wife. Enjoy marital bliss. It's a good thing. How many times have I made fun of newlyweds? You know, all googly-eyed and weird and all that sort of thing. That's a good thing. It is a gift of God. We got a whole book about it in Song of Solomon. It is a good thing. And not only is there nothing wrong about enjoying it, there's everything right. Because who created marriage? God did. Go back to chapter 11 now. These are just some things that Solomon said, and we could tack on other things. Our church family, serving the Lord, praying, 
reading the scriptures and meditating, in addition to our work, our family, a good afternoon nap, whatever these things might be. Now, if you don't find these God-given things enjoyable, if you don't find any of them enjoyable, these things that are God gifts, that these things that are given from God, is the problem with God he just didn't give good enough gifts? No, the problem is not with God. Where's the problem? It's in the heart. But when your heart is right, young person, with God, and you do delight in the things that God delights in, you love what he loves, then let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. A third thing he says along this line is at the end of the verse, for all these know that God will bring you into judgment. So as you relish these things, remember you are accountable to God. Remember that you are accountable to God. God said, enjoy food and drink. Can you go too far with that and become a glutton? There's where, as you're enjoying these things, remember you are accountable to God. God gives rest. Can you go too far with that rest and say, a little sleep, a little slumber? Okay? Yeah, you can become a sluggard. That's where you need to remember, I am accountable to God in my enjoyment of these things. And you can apply these with every one. You can apply with every one of those things. That should cause you to see that do what you want and take it all in. It's not a blank check to go ahead and sow your wild oats. You have to make your heart love what God loves. You have to direct your heart. What did we read in Joel chapter 2? Those who are sinning, rend your heart and not your garments. Set your eyes on the things that are in line with Christ's character and commands. You could write down along this line, Colossians 3, uh, verses 1 through 4. Set your mind on the things that are above where Christ is. God sees, he knows all, he knows your thoughts, he knows your true motivations. There's no hiding those things from him. And when it says God will bring you into judgment, we often, if not always, think of that end-time judgment. And while that's involved with that, is that the only time that God can bring judgment or discipline in the life of his people? Nope, he does it all throughout life. He can convict your conscience. You feel miserable because of that sin. He can cause your hard-earned money to go to someone else. We read that in Ecclesiastes, didn't we? Because he's your heavenly father, he does Hebrews 12, 5, and 6. Those whom the Lord loves, he chastens. This is why it is so important to get your foundation laid right and early. This is why parents are commanded in Ephesians 6, 4, train your children up in the way, in the, in, in the nurture, and the admonition of the Lord, Proverbs 22, 6, the way they should go. 
It's training their way of thinking. It's training their heart, their affections. And it's not just the, you must do this and you shouldn't do that. You must believe this and you shouldn't believe that. It involves those things for sure. The head knowledge stuff. But it's the practice as well. Don't expect our young people to grow up if they only hear it, but they see little of it lived out. Both are essential. So number one, he says, how do you live life to the fullest? Number nine, verse nine, you need to enjoy life while you're young. Verse 10, therefore remove sorrow from your heart. Put away evil from your flesh for child, childhood and youth are vanity. I put it this way, number two, kick out. Kick out vexation and trouble. Everybody's expecting remove or something like that. So put a little different twist on it to really give it a, a good visual aspect. Kick it out, vexation and trouble. Get rid of unnecessary worries and irritations. That's what he means by remove sorrow from your heart. Unnecessary worries and irritations. This is something you need to do. You have to be involved in it, actively involved in it. It's not just going to happen. Oh, Lord, take this away from me. Yeah, pray for help. But are you involved? Are you bringing things in your life? Are you borrowing trouble? I mean, what did Jesus say about that in Matthew 6, 34? Don't worry about tomorrow. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Don't borrow trouble. Don't do that. Get rid of unnecessary worries or irritations. The world pushes expectations and pressures on our young people that they shouldn't. Our children must be children. They're not 30. Does that mean that they should stay children? No. But I'm not going to get upset with a three-year-old because he's acting like a three-year-old and having fun with blocks. I'm going to get down on the floor and play with them. In fact, I love playing Legos. You heard it right, 53-year-old me. I still have probably the largest collection of Legos than anyone else here. <laughs> the young people can testify to that because we had a young people's meeting a few months ago and what did I bring out, guys? Some really dusty Legos. I should have cleaned them up before I brought them out. I love playing Legos with my, my grandkids. That's where they're at. We shouldn't put the world's pressures on them. When he says, put away evil from your flesh, he's saying, get rid of harmful influences. Put away evil from your flesh. Get rid of harmful influences. Again, you have to be all involved in this. You have to be actively involved. It doesn't just happen. And similarly, lost, sinful humanity tells our young people, you can indulge in certain things. Like what? What did our state just say is legal for those who are 21 and older? Marijuana. Hey, it's fine if you want to do it responsibly. Or alcohol that has been legal for a long time. 
But it not only says that about those things, it says that about immorality. Here's one that's sure to get me in trouble. Video games. Now, I grew up playing Pac-Man. And I still have a Pac-Man console for my, my own TV. It's kind of like basketball. It's a sport. Here's some homework. Go home. Look up the word sport in your dictionary. See how it's defined. It defines it as an entertainment or amusement. Now, is there anything wrong with getting some rest, some R&R? Take your mind off things. No. But our society makes that life, doesn't it? It makes these things, video games to sports or whatever it is, this is what you live for. That is what we bow down to. That is what is most important. You can indulge in these things and nothing bad will happen. It's an innocent pleasure. No, it is not. No, it is not. Binge watching. Now, some of you may say, what? What's binge watching? Well, you have four seasons of a television show. Binge watching is, let's watch all, this, all one season in one night. Watch TV for 10 hours or something like that. I mean, the world says, that's just you. You can do what you want. It's your mind. It doesn't have any effect on you. Hold on a minute. What you put in your mind and what you put in your heart, does that have an effect on you? It sure does. Get rid of harmful influences. I'm not going to get rid of my Legos just yet. I'm not going to get rid of my basketball hoop. But I have to watch. I have to watch that, don't I? There are some things will never be allowed in the Greenfield home. If they ever brought in, Dan will not be smiling. Some of those things I listed here. Because they are innately, inherently harmful to your life. Christian young people get rid of harmful influences. The third thing that he says at the end of the verse, childhood and youth are vanity. Well, that sounds negative, doesn't it? Remember words have meaning in their context? This Hebrew word for vanity, more often than not in the book of Ecclesiastes, has this idea of something that's really hard to grasp and not impossible to grasp. But that's not its only meaning. It can also have the idea uh, of that of being like a breath or fleeting. And when you see it that way, childhood and youth are what? Fleeting. And that's the case, isn't it? It's a really short window. The time of youth is really, really short. That's the third thing he tells us here. The time of youth is really, really short. It's a breath. It's fleeting. And because it's fleeting, Christian young people take full advantage of this time of life and all its advantages because you only get to live it how many times? One time. God has given you this time. 
Trust the Lord so that you can use this brief window where you have good health, lots of strength. You can go on four hours of sleep and pretend like nothing happened. Well, that's not really true. Young teenagers need 14 hours of sleep, don't they? You get what I'm saying? They can just keep going and going and going. God has given you this, young people. This brief window of time. And you can and you should enjoy that time that God gives you, not for hedonistic self-pleasure, but for enjoying it from God's point of view to please him and to serve him. Life is really good when you know and love the Lord Jesus Christ. It is. He made everyone, including young people, in God's image. And he made you for one reason. To glorify him. And what's the other thing that the Westminster Confession and the Second London Baptist Convention also tells us? Enjoy him forever. Enjoy him. That means enjoying God's gifts as well. When Christian young people, when they have the right perspective, when they have the right foundation, all their energy and all their attention and their attitude, it's going to be channeled in the right direction. If you say, if parents say, young people, they have to figure out life themselves or they have a free will, they can figure it out and make it. No, their heart is caught up by sin. They need to be shown the way that they should go, not the way that they want to go. I guarantee you, every time, every time you let a young person go the way that they want to go, it will never be the way of the Lord. All on their own, they must be taught. They must be shown the way of the Lord. There are not multiple different truths in God's world, only his. And so parents, raise your children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And children and young people, your parents and your grandparents in this church body are teaching and living what they are because they love you and they want what's best for you. You might say, they're being meanies. No, they love you. And they know that that way that you want to go, it doesn't please the Lord. It leads to destruction. Heed what they say. Love the instruction that they're giving. Young people, remember, those who are not old yet, God's giving you a feeling heart and seeing eyes to use them for his purposes. And when you do, it's enjoyable. Life is good. Do you want to enjoy life? Do you want to enjoy life? Trust the Lord Jesus Christ. Follow him. Obey him. He wants you. He expects you to enjoy the good gifts that he's given. These are fruits of the spirit. The world and sin and Satan, they put up a a false sense. They can't produce those. Don't waste, don't fritter away your life. Make a good, sound investment. And one last thing. Remember when I said 
I wanted to say something about those of us who are old and we want to point the old bony finger and you young people, you need to write. You know what I'm talking about, okay? So this is a note for us, us older folks. Don't rain on Christian young people's sunny days. You were a young person once. If you're a Christian young people, did you have fun with your friends? Did you enjoy being with the Lord's people? Did you enjoy the food and all these blessings of the Lord? I bet you did. Did you do things that you regretted? Without a doubt, everyone does. There's nothing wrong and everything right with lovingly teaching our kids to avoid those things. But don't rain on their sunny days because what is coming in their lives? Rain and storms will come. Rain and storms will come. But right now, God has given them this little time before life's pressures come that they're in that time. And so enjoy that. It's a gift from God. And you'll enjoy it as you're living for Christ. As you're putting him first. As you're serving him. Let's pray.